0: I'm always excited to open God's Word and to study it with you guys, but I'm really excited this morning. I feel like I say this every time I've preached lately, because every time I've gotten up to preach, we've been in the prophets. But I absolutely love studying the prophets, and I truly enjoy it. And we're looking at Jeremiah, and he's one of my favorite prophets. And today we're actually looking at a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the people who were in exile in Babylon. It was a letter that was meant to encourage and give hope to God's people. It was a letter to remind God's people that they're not alone and that he hadn't forgotten them. But before we dive into that, I just want to sort of share a story with you guys. Uh, it's it's a time where I was hoping and praying that God was going to take care of some things. Uh, while I was in college at Johnson, I was pursuing a degree in preaching and youth ministry. And as a requirement for that degree plan, I had to complete an internship between my junior year and my senior year and I spent the entire fall of my junior year searching and searching and searching for a church to intern with and I was struggling to find a, a church to land at and it ultimately left me with two choices going into my the final semester of my junior year it was either I interned at a church that was not healthy and was not a good fit for me or I didn't do an internship until after my senior year and not get my diploma. And at that point, I was felt kind of hopeless because I'd worked for three years at that point to get my degree, and if I didn't complete an internship, I wouldn't get my degree. I compl- felt completely and utterly lost. And, but I s- sat down and prayed. I said, God, take care of it because I've done all I can do. Flash forward to January of 2020, and it's the last day at Johnson to drop and add classes from your schedule. I get a phone call from John Lancaster from Huntsville Christian Church. He said that they wanted to bring me on as a youth minister intern and they've been praying about it for six months. And they wanted me to do a six-month internship instead of doing a summer. And I said, hey, i got to talk to my academic advisor and see if this is even going to work out with where I'm at in my classes. And so I went and met my academic advisor, he says, hey, everything lines up, you just have to drop one class that will count while you're taking your internship. So I get to call Huntsville and tell them, hey, I'm good to do it, but six months isn't long enough. I have to do seven, because that was a requirement for Johnson. So I was able to spend the summer and fall serving and taking classes online. And this internship, we had to take an internship prep class though, before we went into it, and it didn't meet till middle of the semester, till the end of the semester. Well, if you can remember in the middle of, at the beginning of 2020, something hit, it was COVID. And, again, I sort of felt helpless again because here we are, the world's falling apart, and I'm worried about my degree again. My friend, a lot of my friends who were having to do the same thing I was doing, their internships were falling through. And I was worried that, well, with Peyton, with your luck, yours is going to fall through too. And it's only a matter of time. Well, luckily for me, I stayed in contact with Huntsville, and they were very gracious and wanted me there no matter what. And God, I think, took care of that internship for me. But that feeling of hopelessness and sort of fear that I felt and worry about not getting my degree probably felt really minor compared to what our people in our story today felt. That feeling that they had of abandonment and hopelessness had to be hitting home because it probably felt like God had sort of left them and deserted them and left them to die in captivity. At least that's how I think it would have felt. And then out of nowhere, boom, Jeremiah writes this letter. And In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14, it says, This is is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests and the prophets and to all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elsa, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hi- Hikayah, whom Zebekiah, king of Judah, sent ke- to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord of it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So this morning, just for a moment, I want you guys to use your imagination. And you're going to make fun of me for this, but as I said, to use your imagination, a scene from SpongeBob actually came to my head. SpongeBob and Patrick are are in this little box and they're 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 having this awesome moment and playing out all these big scenes and Squidward comes up and opens the box. He says, "Why are you doing all of this?" He, you you're sitting in a box with nothing and, and SpongeBob looks up at Squidward and says, "We don't need a TV as long as we have our imagination." And I'm uh, sorry, I couldn't help but say that but that's what hap- what played in my head this morning is as I said to use your imagination but for real for just a moment let's sit here and use our imagination you're sitting at home you're sitting on the couch or on the recliner it's a, it's a Saturday afternoon you've got a glass of sweet tea sitting on the the table beside you there's a light rain falling outside there's soup in the kitchen cooking in the crock pot it's 3:30. the SEC on CBS theme songs playing as kickoff is rapidly approaching for Alabama LSU and then suddenly you're ripped from your recliner, ripped from your couch thrown into some foreign country your life was uprooted and you were forced to live in a place you didn't know how would you feel in that moment I imagine it would have felt similar to how God's people felt when they were thrown into exile and that that happens to God's people, they're put into exile and Jeremiah sends them the letter In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord of it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God here, when when his people get put into exile, he gave them some instructions on what to do. He tells them to buckle up, to settle down. It's going to be a long haul and not going to be this quick little sprint. He tells them to build, to marry, and to reproduce. He says for them to seek peace and prosperity. He tells people to pray for Babylon because if it prospers, they will prosper. During this time, there were a lot of false prophets that were proclaiming messages to God's people. And Jeremiah addresses that a little bit later on in this, this letter, but one of the messages that those prophets were proclaiming that Babylon was going to fall quick and it was going to be a short time in exile and that that, that God's people, they wouldn't be there long. But that that message is completely contradicted by what Jeremiah is saying from God by telling his people to settle down. God also instructs his people on what not to do. And in, Je- in Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God tells his people not to be deceived, not to listen to the lies, and be deceived by the false prophets. He made it clear they were proclaiming a message that he didn't send them to say. And he, they were prophesying something that he had not authorized. And that wasn't all that God was saying. He was telling his people to be patient. He was telling them to hold on. He was telling them to trust in his plan, to trust in God's plan. In Jeremiah 29, verses, verses 10 and 11, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This was God's plan all along for his people. He had a plan, and it would take 70 years to complete it. And as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about some phrasing that was used in this passage, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before. I I knew before studying this passage that it was God's plan for his people to go into exile. But I noticed this phrasing of I carried. Verse, we see it in three different verses. The first in verse 4. This is what the Lord God, what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. From Jerusalem to Babylon. Also in verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And finally, in verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God made it abundantly clear to his people that it was him who had carried them into exile because it was all a part of his plan plan was greater than anything they could have imagined. It included plans to prosper them and not to let them be harmed. He had plans to give them a future and a hope. That plan, it would take some time to execute. It would take years, 70 years to be exact. And for me, that's hard to fathom. I've turned 24 in a, in a week or so, and my life, I did the math, my life here on earth is only a third of the time that they would spend in captivity. But Israel was there in this time of exile by God's design, though. And by his plan, they would spend such a period of time in captivity. He gave these people basic instructions on what they needed to do during that time to build up your families, settle down, don't be deceived, and I'm coming back to get you. And as followers of Christ, we shouldn't be too much different than how the Israelites felt living in Babylon. We were people, too, or living in a foreign place, a place full of sin and wickedness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We need to be just like the Israelites in exile. We need to plant roots, I think, in our community. We need to invest in love on those around us and to be in our world without becoming of the world. We need to be in the world but not becoming of the world. I know it's weird to be a part of this world and be in it and not become like the world we live in. This world, though, I think can't be like our homes. I, and I don't know about you, but for me, when I, when I leave the church at the end of the day and I go home, I plop down in the recliner and I don't want to move. I just want to relax and not do a thing. But we can't do that in, in life. We, this, this world that we live in, it isn't our home. We have a purpose in this life, and we have a purpose to do in this world. We have a responsibility to be a light in this world. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verses 14 and 16 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our, our, our world today sort of, our role in the world today sort of reminds me of what it was like to dorm in college. As many of you know, I graduated just in 2021, and in my time at Johnson, I, I spent, well, I lived in three different dorm rooms, and I lived in a duplex on campus. Each of those rooms and living spaces I had were temporary, they were only a place for me to be. To, uh, to sleep as I worked to get my degree. They weren't home. As much as I loved them, as awesome as those dorm rooms were, they were, they were temporary, and they were just a, a temporary spot for me. It was a seasonal home for me, and that's like this world. Because our world is just a seasonal place for us before we spend eternity. And our place, though, here in this world, is to, in, the, in the world is to be a place to work for the mission of the church. Our world, though, it really wants us to cave in to our flesh and to our sinful desire. The only way to keep from caving in is to be in the Word, to be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the closer that you and I get to our Lord and Savior Jesus, the more we begin to want and to desire what He wants and desires. Closer we are to Jesus, the less we want to be of the world. Paul writes this in in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we follow Jesus, we start to desire to, to do his will. We live, in, we live in the world, but we can't become of the world. Why? Because we're not about this world. We're about serving our Savior. We should be living in this world, trying to lead others to Christ. But not be solely focused on the world, but to be solely focused on Jesus. We must have our eyes set on the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on minds on things above, not on earthly things. Church, we've got to focus on Jesus and on the things that he desires and not the things that this world has to offer us. We are called as believers to be a light in the darkness. We are truly ambassadors for Christ here on this earth to everyone around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20-21 through 21 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I believe that in our lives in the world, we should be building a Jesus culture around us, a culture that shines directly back to him. We live in a world that desperately needs him, and Jesus is the answer to any and everything we could encounter in life. I believe we need to be ambassadors and lighthouses in our community and in the world that shows to Jesus. I think we as believers should be aware of culture and be engaged in it, But I think it's one thing to engage in culture and be engaged in the world. And another to find hope there. Because their only source of hope is through Jesus. John chapter 14 verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe that we should be living our lives proclaiming the gospel. and And proclaiming that Jesus is the hope. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. I believe we need to be doing that by being in the world and being around other people. I think we should be culturally relevant, too, for the sake of the gospel, so we're able to proclaim it. Looking back to Jeremiah, we see verses 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There were a lot of false prophets that were spreading lies about about the Lord in this time. But it wasn't just at this time either. We see it in the New Testament. And church, we see it today too. There are a lot of people proclaiming a watered-down gospel. And if you believe and follow that, you miss a promise that we see in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah verses 10 and 11 in chapter 29. This is what the Lord says. We, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. For the Israelites, this there was a hopeful end to the exile. God had promised they would come out of this time. A promise that was given in the present about what was to come. It was to give them hope in the present. And for us, this, this exile end too. Because... Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to get us. He's coming for you and he's coming for me. Jeremiah verse, chapter 29 verses 12 and 14. Then you, will co- then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God told his people to seek him and they would find him. But did you catch verse 13? It's one of my favorite verses. Because it says they, they would find God when they seek him with all their heart. It wasn't if they seek him with part of their heart or if they just went looking. It was with all their heart that they had to seek God that they would find him. But God gives each one of us a heart. He wants us to seek him. And when we do, we'll find him. We just have to see. He wants us to desire and ask for a heart to know him too, though. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. When we seek God with all our heart, we start to see the promises that were being fulfilled. He made a promise in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 32 and 33. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband, husband to them, declares the Lord. That new covenant pointed straight to Jesus. That new covenant has been given. Jesus died for us. He took on a toll and paid a price for sin that we couldn't pay. And he's coming back for you and me. The greatest reward we could ever ask for in this life is Jesus. When, when we have him in our lives, we have the world in our hands. Because we have the one who saved the world. And I want to read Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. Because I just think it's powerful. And it gives some good advice. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, I encourage you today to keep running the race. Keep working in the world to bring Jesus to everyone. Stay focused solely on him. Keep your eyes on him. Life isn't some quick sprint. It's a marathon to the finish line. Keep on running. Be like Forrest Gump. Run. Run through life focusing on Jesus. And don't know if you know this. You can't run while you're sitting down. You've got to be up and doing what God's telling you to do. You have to be doing life in the world to run the race. It's, it's not a come in and be a Christian on Sunday mornings and leave. It's not, a, it's not a, hey, I know Jesus and I love him and nothing changes. Running the race takes some faith. It takes faith to have, it takes having faith in the events and the things that we don't see that are coming. Having faith to t- have some deep, deliberate, intentional thoughts about God and what he's doing in the world. Uh, and the faith that's expressed in actions in our daily lives in the world. Faith is not, and faith isn't just merely believe, believing in God, because even Satan believed. But it's believing God and what he's doing in your life and what he's doing in the lives of those around you. Church, I challenge you this morning to, to just immerse yourself in the Lord. To live out fruitful lives that shine to Jesus. I want to share 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 as we close. He has delivered us from a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have our hope. On him we have set our hope. That he will deliver us. That he will continue to deliver us. Church when we have Jesus. We have everything. When we have Jesus. We have all that God promised. Christ himself and the promises that come through him. Are ours when we have Jesus Christ. And church I believe that's something that's worth rejoicing in. And I love Philippians 4. 4. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna have a time of invitation and a time of worship. And I challenge you to let it be a time to rejoice in the Lord and what He's doing, God. And and use it too as a time if somebody has a decision that they need to make or they just need some prayer that they would do so. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, for the opportunity that we have to just to get up and to, to, to see your word, God, and just hear it proclaimed. I pray that it would be with each of us as we leave this place, that we would be a beacon of light that shines back to you, God. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for Jesus and him dying on the cross and fulfilling the new covenant, God. I pray all these things in your son's name, I pray.